at the revealing questions that Jesus asks of us. All right, would you stand with me please this morning once more together? We want to read the text today found in Matthew chapter 7. The title of the message this morning is called Specks and Logs. Everybody say that with me, Specks and Logs. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, we're in the middle of what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is wrapping up this very powerful message, which is basically the constitution of the kingdom of God. He's announced it's here. He's inaugurating it. Uh, the king is here. He's come to be king of the kingdom. And so we're going to read this passage. Everything he's been saying, he's been sort of turning on its head. Okay? And so as we look, let's look at this very famous passage together. Everybody read out loud with me. We've got about five or six verses. Here we go. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Bow your heads with me please for a word of prayer. Almighty God, we need you. We lean heavily into you right now, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy. We acknowledge that we are desperately, O oh God, hungry and longing for your presence to be filled, fill us and, and to anoint us, O oh God. Thank you for grace that doesn't just cover us on the outside, but it transforms us on the inside. I ask you today I, to be the voice within my voice. I acknowledge before you and everybody hearing this that I'm utterly dependent upon you. I can do nothing apart from you. Thank you today, Jesus, that that's not my testimony. I'm not apart from you. But through Christ, I can do all things. And I ask you today to speak and open ears to hear. Speak and let eyes see and understand. Holy Spirit, let the gospel go forth today. You tap on the shoulders of men and women, those that you're calling as your own sheep. In this service today, we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I would just like to say that this passage of Scripture that we have just read is the most quoted and the most misunderstood passage from the Bible. Christians and non-believers alike regularly pull this one out of context in a moment when someone is confronting them over something that is irregular or abnormal or that is sinful or immoral or illegal or all of the above, sometimes things that are just different. Some folks are just different. Look at your neighbor and say, some people are just different. And, and they choose to march to the beat of a different drummer. And, and look around the room and you can see that we have some variety here this morning, that God has a sense of humor. If you don't think so, just look up and down the row you're sitting on. And look at the dude standing up here in front of you today. I'm thankful that we worship and serve a God of love and mercy, a God who is the judge of the living and the dead. The Bible calls and refers to him. We will all stand before the 
judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ, to give an account of things that we've done while in the body. I understand that. I preach that regularly. This morning I want to look at this passage because this one is trotted out regularly by pagans and heathen and atheists and secularists and unbelievers, sometimes in the face of Christians that are attempting to try to show to the world the standard of what God's Word shows or what it says, the law word of God which we are to walk with, that we are to keep. We cannot keep in our own strength. We cannot keep it in our own ability. It is only Jesus Christ who has kept it perfectly. And it's when we realize that we have died and He is alive in us that He in us can keep the commandments of God. Uh, we, we don't gain any favor by keeping them because none of us can keep them good enough. If we break one portion of the law, then the book of James says we are guilty of breaking the whole of God's law, W-H-O-L-E, wholly together. And if we're really truthful, we don't break it, it breaks us. Look at your neighbor and say, the law of God breaks us. That's when we realize that. You, there, there, there are laws that are irrefutable, you can't undo them. It's like the law of gravity. I, I, I use this illustration frequently, but I can go over here to the lovely West Memphis skyscraper, the Mid-Continent Building, the Garrity Loan Building, and step off of the top of the sixth floor and, and trust that gravity won't kick in and pray for me on the way down because if I live to tell the story about it, it'll be a mess because gravity is irrefutable. It's, it's a law of nature that God's put into place and His eternal laws are no different. And He alone is the judge. And we have seen people who don't even believe in the validity or the authenticity of Scripture or certainly its inspiration, don't believe it's God-breathed, God-inspired, will regularly take this out in order to silence, they think this will be the trump card, to silence the voice of Christians who sometimes, uh, certainly if we, we want to tell the story and be truthful, can come across in a very condescending, condemning kind of tone. Don't shout me down now, but you know I'm telling the truth. Present company excluded. I know none of us ever have done that or ever do that. But it's the other people out there. We don't name any denominations, but we know it's all of them for sure that the world is wrestling with. Not us, certainly. Okay. And I'm being a little sarcastic, so hope you catch that. Okay. Uh, but this is the most quoted and the most misunderstood, misconstrued passage of Scripture in the Bible. Folks who don't even believe in the authority of Scripture will regularly tote it out or trot it out and go, Don't judge! And I just want to tell you what... This is not about. This is my second point this morning. I want you to look at this with me. Click, second point. It's not about not judging. It's about judging properly. Some of you don't quite know. I don't know. But it, well, you can't get past the first phrase that says, don't judge. Because you think that's the end of the word. Well, let's don't stop there. Let's get the whole context of what Jesus has said in this passage because he's walking in a religious crowd where you've got a particular sect, S-E-C-T, a section of Christian, not Christianity, I'm sorry, but of Judaism at the time, the Pharisees, that are God-fearers, God-lovers. They love God. They love Torah. They love the law of God with all their hearts. They love the law more than they love the God who gave it sometimes. And they have been busy for oh, let's say 1,500, a couple thousand years, building what they call fence laws around the actual laws of God in an attempt to try to keep people farther away from breaking the actual law of God so they've put the restrictions further out there that Jesus came and said, you guys can't even hold up under the weight of this or keep this yourself and you won't lift a finger to help anybody else. 
So Jesus is coming and he's passing judgment on a whole pervasive kind of an idea that has begun to move, begun to move throughout the religion of the day in Judaism. And this certainly, somehow, the, the Pharisees sneezed and the Christians caught the cold. And we picked this up, especially in the South, with a little bit of fundamentalism, particularly hyper-fundamentalism, and we can, wake, we can wag the bony finger of Pharisaism at people all too quickly and condemn them and end up literally cutting them off, alienating them from the possibility of being able to hear the life-giving message of the gospel because of the way we are dealing with them about some aspect of their lives that we feel like is wrong. We work. We work at building the culture that makes victory what it is, that we would be an atmosphere of grace where sinners can come in here, a hospital, where literally they can be, after Jesus has raised them from spiritual death, they can be nursed into a place of spiritual life to be a life-giving, serving team member on a, a live body called the Church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the only way we can do that is for us to put down the way we immediately judge people from the outside on outward appearances. And I just want you to see that as we look at a few other scriptures this morning, I want to underline this point. This section is not about not judging. It's about judging properly. If Jesus were teaching them, don't ever, ever, ever have any kind of judgment whatsoever, then he wouldn't have said what he did in John chapter 7, verse 24. He's healing somebody on the Sabbath day, and here come the Pharisees, the very judgmental group of people, and they're condemning him because they see him as breaking the law of God when they didn't even realize that he was the walking representation of God's Sabbath, of God's rest, and his life in ministry was about leading somebody and everybody who came into his contact into a place of Sabbath rest along with them. Okay, God, glad you're on the front row because I'm throwing my glasses today. And folks, this is what Jesus said in John 7, 24. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. King James says, so you can judge with righteous judgment. Okay, so the issue is not ever judging. The issue is judging the right way and not the wrong way. Everybody say there's a right way to judge and there's a wrong way to judge. So you check it out. It's in your notes. Go home and read it in your own Bible. John 7, 24. Jesus says, do not look at the surface. Look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly or you can judge with righteous judgment. Now I'm going to read an extensive passage here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where it literally deals with the position of people in the community who held the office of a judge. And I want you to see how Paul tells us that this is something the church is to be actively involved in doing. He says, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Everybody say, judge the world. And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? So it's the difference in judging rightly and judging wrongly. He says, don't you realize that we will judge angels? 
So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you, the Apostle Paul writes. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? Everybody say, wise enough to decide. Of course, we're talking about judgment, okay? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? That's an interesting phrase. Instead, you yourselves are the one who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Listen to the list. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting that in our culture today, in evangelicalism, we like to draw a couple of those out and just whip them down to the ground. And God lists them all together. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? So let the word be the word. Let it say what it says. We don't have to take time and draw a group out. Okay, None of these will inherit the kingdom of God, is what the Bible says. Look, listen to the verse 11, and I'm finished with this passage. Some of you were once like that. I'm so thankful for the redemptive grace of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. Some of you sitting here this morning might used to identify with some of those areas. And, and you're thankful that you're saved, but being able to... Now label yourself the way the Apostle Paul says, you're not what you used to be, but you were cleansed and you were made holy. I, I bet if I polled the room this morning, let's make it an anonymous survey, monkey survey, I bet less than 20% of the people would call themselves holy. But how many of you know that's how Jesus sees you? Because you have been cleansed and you have been made holy. I love the, the actual original, the, the King James says, such were some of you. All that list that was mentioned, such were some of you. See, because there's no valley so deep, there's no pit of sin that is so wide that the gospel of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary cannot reach down into the muck and the mire of your mess and pull you, pull me, rescue us, rescue the perishing, not just the dying, but the dead, and raise us to newness of life. Come on, somebody, give God a little bit of praise in this place. I love it. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Holy Spirit, let us be more aware of your presence. If we would walk and live Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday with the awareness of the words that we just sang that literally are a prayer, let us be more aware of your presence Oh God, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, fill me, endue me with your power. 
And everything that I do, let it be something that glorifies Jesus, that it advances the kingdom of God. Back to the message at hand. There are specks and there are logs. And if I were to take the time and show you the Greek word, the speck literally means a piece of sawdust. Uh, and, and if I were to be able to put it on the end of my finger here, you wouldn't be able to see it from your seat because we're talking about something that is minuscule. A speck. A speck is in your brother's eye and you see it. There's an inconsistency. There is a sin. There is a, a, a flaw. There's a mistake that's regularly made. There is something that offended you, something that was done wrong to you, and you see that. You've, you've been the recipient of that speck from that other person's life. But yet Jesus says when we walk around not judging righteously, not judging the right kind of way, we are drawn to the specks that we maximize in other people's lives and we, yet we have this huge log. And if we look at the Greek word, it's a piece of wood. It's this massive obstruction that doesn't give us the ability to really be able to see with any kind of clarity. And Jesus says, hypocrite, hypocrites coming under the criteria, under the standard, and yet you want to hold the standard up and convict somebody else of a standard that you are not willing to uphold yourself. And so Jesus says, let's get rid of the wood, let's get rid of the lumber, the plank, the log that you're carrying around in your own eye obstructing you so that you can go help the brother who has the speck. And I just want to say this, this is just sometimes how folks in the church who want to get all up in everybody else's business. It ain't none of your business. Leave it alone. I remember in the 1980s, we had the VHS game called Clue. And there was Colonel Mustard, and there was Miss Peacock, and there was Mr. Green. Mr. Green was big, probably 350-pound guy dressed in a complete green suit and green shoes and everything. And he had a green card with his business card on it. And it said, Mr. Green, business. And they said, what's your business? And he said, none of your business. And it was like bad jokes on the VHS. <laughs> But let me just tell you right now, the stuff that you struggle with is not anybody else's business. It's between you and God. And, and, and when you are close enough with someone that something comes to your attention, we should, with grace and mercy, search our own hearts first, remove whatever logs are in our own eyes before we go try to flush out the speck in our brother or sister's eye. Are you hearing me? Now, this is very plain. Jesus is using plain, very concrete kind of an example of specks and logs. But I want you to see this morning that there is a spiritual application to this as well. My next point is that judgment and judgmentalism, there is a difference. Everybody say that with me. Judgment and judgmentalism. Say it with me. There is a difference. Okay. Now, this is what I want you to grasp here. I, this is printed in your notes and it says it right there. This isn't about suspending discernment, but it is about stopping condemnation. Now, let me give you an example. A few years back, I had a lovely couple come to me in the church because their daughter was growing up and she's 16 and she's driving the car and she's hanging out with a new set of friends that are troubling the parents. Parents love Jesus. The young lady loves Jesus. Had a very real experience with God. But the mom has particularly noticed that the, the, the daughter is sort of starting to slide in some language and just some habits. And, 
And so she does a little bit of investigating and finds out who these friends are that are coming to the house. And, and let me just tell you, I grew up, when, when somebody would come into my house, my mom would go, well, hello there, how are you? Who is, who's your mom and dad? Where, where do they work? Where do you live? And mom's like grilling people, you know. So she wanted to know who was going to be hanging out with Mike and Dewey. And who, who were our friends? Who were our buddies? Because mom knew a principle from 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Now, let me just say this to you right now. In five years, you'll be the same people that you are, except for the books you read and the people you hang out with. Hopefully the books you read, one of them is the Bible. That's the main one because it's the one that has real transformative power in your life. And I'm hoping that you're growing in your knowledge of God and you're, you're, you're growing in your maturity as a disciple of Jesus and you're hanging around with other folks that will bless you and you get strong enough so that you can also begin to befriend sinners not for the sake of looking down and condescending and condemning them or preaching or Bible-thumping them, but loving them with the love of Jesus, with the awareness that the same God who forgave the greatness of your sins can let you be an ambassador to take that forgiveness to somebody else who needs to hear it. Come on, somebody say amen. That's what we're called to do. And so this, this couple came to me, and they were frustrated because as soon as they addressed the young lady and said, Listen, we're really not comfortable with these people being your best friends at this time in life. And the young girl said, look at you, hypocrite. Don't judge. And they were paralyzed because she's quoting Scripture. And they feel like basically their hands are tied. And so they came to me and said, please tell us what we're supposed to do. And I just grinned and I said, well, first of all, let me just tell you, what she used on you is the complete misunderstanding that the American society has in this age of relativism where anybody calls anybody out or it doesn't even have to be preachy in calling somebody out. You can just have somebody uphold righteousness. Like the Duggar family from Arkansas with 19 or 20 kids, that's not me, I'm dead, I don't know how they do it, but praise God, they're, they're raising kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and more power to them. God bless them. And all kinds of accusations are hurled at these people because they, they just exude wholesomeness. And there's a holiness about their family. Uh, and, and, and it's not necessarily tied to outward appearance and dress codes and all that kind of stuff, but just clear eyes and a smile on the face and, and proper respect and right kind of honor. And they've been raised the right way. And this is not a commercial for the Duggars. Okay, But I'm just giving you an example because it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who goes on TV or CNN and they're basically calling out something that they see as a sinful direction that the society is going in. Because we as the church have regularly been on the chopping block because of sometimes rightfully doing that and a whole lot of the times being Bible thumpers and doing it the wrong way, being condescending, being very pharisaical, very hypocritical about it. Don't shout me down. How many of you know I'm telling you the truth? So I want you, what I want you to see is when the Bible tells us here, do not judge, then it turns around and says the very next verse starts to tell you how to do it the right way. For with what measure you meet, it will be meted back to you. The way you treat others, you will be treated. How you judge others will be the way that others will judge you. So can you do it righteously, as Jesus says, judge righteously, judge correctly, do it properly. Don't just do it based on an outward appearance because someone looks a little bit different than you do, got a little bit of color in their hair that's, that's not a natural human hue, 
or it's cut differently or they're pierced or tatted or whatever. And all of these different kinds of things, or maybe it's a little bit long as a guy or it's a little shorter than you like as a girl. And all of these different things that we have a tendency to just basically draw a line of distinction and separate everybody who doesn't look like us, walk like us, and talk like us. And if Christians keep thinking like that, we can never reach the world for Jesus Christ. Love has to be bigger than that. Judgment is one thing. Judgmentalism is what Jesus was dealing with. Greek word for judgment is krino, crisis. We get the English word crisis from it. When you're in a crisis in your life, you have to make a decision. You have to make a judgment call. Okay? When you go to school and you start your junior level, senior level business courses, you have to have what's called a prerequisite. It's a uh, your, your business calculus, it's a sophomore level class. That is the criteria, Greek word criterion, same family related to judgment. And when you haven't had that and you try to go to a junior level class, you haven't met the criteria, hupokrites. You're living under the standard. And guess what? The professor is going to pass judgment at the end of the semester and tell you you failed. And he's judging righteously. He's judging correctly. Don't shout me down. What am I saying to you this morning? Do not suspend your discernment. Parents, be parents. Tell your children, look, we need to sit down and have a Bible study and understand what God's talking about through Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He's not telling us not to judge. He's telling us to judge the right kind of way. Young man comes into this church, gets saved. He leaves a past of a very typical late teenage 20-something sexual exploitations and drug culture and all this kind of stuff. And guess what? We throw our arms around him and we love him and we embrace him and we walk with him and we start to disciple him and watch him grow in strength. We administer grace when he slips and falls because it happens. And you lift them back up. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brothers, when you see another brother in a fault, you restore them gently and be careful that you're not tempted and drawn into the same sin. That if you're judgmental, you will be preaching down to and condemning. Jesus says there's no room for that. Administer life. Give grace. Love. Mercy. Correct. But do it in love. This is what I want to say. So the young man comes into this church. I'm walking with him. I'm spending time with him. He's going through the purple book with me. But you're out of your ever-loving mind if you think I'm going to let him ring my doorbell and take my daughter out on a date three months into that new experience he's got. Now, am I being judgmental? No, sir. But am I making a judgment? You better believe it. It's called discernment. He keeps walking with me. We build some trust. I would be a blame fool idiot to let the most precious thing that God has called me to be a steward over until she's 21, just because he's made a recent profession of faith to say, sure, go ahead, take my baby out, just have a good old time. I'm not an idiot. I'm going to exercise righteous judgment. Now, the way I handle it is what's going to be critical. And let me just say to you, brother, I'm thankful that you'd... That you, you like what you see here, but let's walk with each other in the Lord a little while and let me develop some trust because I know what you just came out of. Are you guys hearing me a little bit this morning? So when somebody tells you don't judge, they, they really are trying to say don't be judgmental, don't be condemning. But guess what? That doesn't mean that you suspend every bit of God-given common sense and discernment that you have been given 
by the Holy Spirit who's leading you and by the parents who raised you. Come on, somebody say amen this morning. It's nonsense. And too many times, folks who don't have your best at heart will look you in the face and wag the finger and call you a hypocrite because you're just making a discernment. You're just saying, I'm sorry, this is not a good time. And you know what? You come alongside and love and you help these folks grow then I'll, you know what, let's, let's, get, let's get a year under our belt. Sure, you can come ring my doorbell and take my daughter out. But until then, until I trust you, now I'm, I'll be there for you to, forget, to give forgiveness because forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. Are you hearing me? I regularly sit down in my office with people who are not married, who are going to get divorced, who can't make it, and it's not because they don't love each other, it's because they what? Don't trust each other. Trust is the foundation of a marriage that lasts. Because let me just tell you right now, if you have a marriage that lasts longer than two or three years, you're going to have days where you don't feel like you're in love. I'm totally off my message, but I'm helping somebody right now. And it's the days when I don't feel like, and I've lost that loving feeling, help me, and that's probably not the Holy Ghost, that just crossed my mind right there. You guys have no idea the parade that I fight right across there. When you've lost that loving feeling, if you will keep your word and be a man of honor, when temptation comes, and it comes flirtatiously in every kind of package, in every kind of arena, across the cubicle, down the hall at the office, at the gym, in the restaurant, all different kinds of places, when you determine that you're going to be a man or a woman of God who keeps your word and you're going to covenantally honor the vows you've made, Guess what? You will have a trust. You will build a foundation based on Jesus Christ. And when the winds blow against that house, that marriage will last in Jesus' name. Now, there's a totally huge world of difference between judgmentalism and judgment. Discernment. Making a righteous kind of judgment. And isn't it interesting that Jesus says... That's the speck is in the brother's eye and the log is ours. Isn't it just human nature that, 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 that yours, I, I am absolutely making yours huge and I don't even see, I'm minimizing my own. I've got this major log hanging out of my head and obstructing my ability to be able to see clearly. But all I can focus on is that little tiny speck of inconsistency or a sin or a mistake in your life. I want to close this message with two points here that I want you to grab hold of. The log that I believe Jesus is talking about in the natural, that's a plank that's hanging out of the hypocrite's eye, becomes something different in our spirits and in our souls. I believe that it is offenses that we've let mount up or something that we see somebody else do that basically turns us inside out or offends us for the sake or the cause of the gospel. Listen to this. Just play quietly, softly, Chloe, and I'm going to wrap this up. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hear this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Put that up for me, guys, if you would. 
1 Corinthians 13, 5 that I just read, it says, and it keeps no record of being wronged. This word for record in the New Testament Greek is the word logazomahi. Say that with me. Logazomahi. Say it one more time. Logazomahi. I, I think that there is something extremely interesting here because it comes from the word logos, the word, the word which means word. It means to give an account of. So it's an accounting of something. And it's, it's basically a ledger. It's a journal. It's a log. The logazomahi is a record. It's a log of when I've been wronged. And what Jesus is trying to show folks, I truly believe with all of my heart, is this sense of judgmentalism, this condemnation. When I am holding, this is literally what it says in the, in the, in the authorized version, it says love is not resentful. King James says it thinketh no evil. The New Living Translation says no record of being wronged. And you know what? Sometimes we may actually have a journal where we've written down where folks have hurt us deeply and we've been wounded because of a church experience. And Crittenden County is filled with people that are burnt stones. Book of Nehemiah. They've been kicked out of the wall of the city because somebody has hurt them or wounded them or disappointed them or offended them and they've been upset or maybe they're mad at God because of a prayer that didn't get answered or maybe it got answered but not the way they thought it should have been answered. And pastors, preachers that are just humans, some of them have improper motivation, maybe hurt you intentionally, maybe it was not intentional, but we have been burnt stones that have been kicked out of the wall of the city and we find ourselves just sitting out here disjointed, not connected, no life-giving relationships because we're hurt and we're wounded and we're offended and we've got a record of it. We've got a log in our own eye. We've got a logazomahi. I'm playing off of this Greek word here, this log. I want you to see that love keeps no record. It doesn't, it doesn't keep marking down how many times your husband didn't do what you've asked him to do a thousand times. Put down the toilet seat or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> Load the dishwasher, unload the dishwasher. She didn't follow through with the commitment that she told you that she would make and you've logged it and now you're beginning to get resentful to the one that you love because you're logging it. When Resentment literally is when you start to keep a record of what everybody that's done to hurt you or offend you and the bitterness becomes a root and it grows down into the very root system of your life and your spirit and your emotions and your mentality and everything you're thinking. It's in front of you. You can't see anything else except how much you're offended. And love, love like Jesus loves, tears up the logs and burns them up and keeps no record. I want to tell you, God wants a church that has righteous judgment but loses the log of judgmentalism, that loses the condemnation so that when the broken person walks through the door and everything about them reeks sin and sinfulness and lifestyles that we don't approve of, that we don't become pharisaical in 24 hours but we hang on to the love of Jesus who forgave us and that we would be like the woman who was forgiven so much that Jesus said of her, he who is forgiven much loves much. God, let us be aware of how much you have forgiven us. 
the length of the log that you tore into pieces. And let me just tell you, I'm so excited to be able to report to you this morning that this is not just something that Jesus does alternatively to the way we viewed God as being an angry, old, long beard Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, kind of an old guy who's ready to zap you when you miss it. That's not my God. That's not the God of the Bible. Yes, He is a God who is an all-consuming fire. And yes, He is the judge of the living and the dead. I believe that with all of my heart. But nothing better represents His character than His Son who came to walk among us. And as I close this morning, my last point is that God keeps no logs. God keeps no logs. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting logazomahi right there no longer counting no longer counting men's sins against them God came down in Jesus and he said we're wiping the slate clean no longer counting men's sins against them and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God! For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, God's keeping no logs. He's not counting your sins against you. If there ever was a piece of good news that I need to hear. All the religions of the world are about working my way into God's favor and Christianity is the complete opposite of it. All the others call for my sacrifice to die for my God and the difference between ours and the rest of the world is we have a God who came and died for us. Yeah. I was teaching in Christian Worldview at Visible Music College this week on Eastern pantheistic monism, Hinduism, Buddhism, which is this belief that karma, everything from your past is what's ordering your present. And people that embrace that cyclical system of reincarnation, my present life is paying for sins from my past, and there's never the ability to break out of it. And karma, if we really tell the truth, is like the biblical law of sowing and reaping. Come on, how many of you know the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. But the amazing thing about the gospel is that we have this interruption called grace. And God suspends and covers and deals with and eradicates and annihilates and removes the power from. And as far as the east is from the west, casts sins as far away from you as that is. And, 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 and the things that you're remembering and have a record of, God says, I don't remember them anymore. Yeah. Are you hearing that? God is, doesn't have a log. He doesn't, he's not logazomahying you. <laughs> Greek professor just rolled over in his grave. He's not counting it. He's not recording it. He's not logging it. But he's torn it up. Listen this morning. This is my last thought. Colossians chapter 2. Listen to verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. 
And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. And listen how he did it, verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to his cross. Look at your neighbor and say, he took it away. Tell somebody else, he canceled the record. How did he do it? He nailed it to the cross. God took the log that accused you and he nailed it to the eternal log of Calvary and dealt with it. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. Come on, let's, let's remember a little bit of a solar system principle here. I can go so far north that eventually I'll end up going south. But if I head east on the planet, I will perpetually forever be going east. East and west are infinitesimally apart. It cannot even be measured. East and west, you know, you, you keep going north on the planet, you'll turn around and start going south. But if you start going east, you will forever be going east. You don't ever start going west. Isn't it interesting that long before the Enlightenment came and before the scientific revolution came, that there was some poet in the book of Psalms that knew to say, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us? There's not even a distance. You can't measure it. God's not logging it. He's forgotten it. He doesn't remember it. Come on, somebody! Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Okay, that's great for believers, but listen to me as the lights go down and we bow our heads together right now. You're in a place, you're in a crisis right now. You're in a moment of judgment. You're in an important place of decision. The Spirit of God is moving and tapping people on the shoulder right now. And He's saying, my son died for you. Holy Spirit is saying, come back to God. Come on. Love of God is extended to you. He's speaking through me, through this vessel, through, a, through, an, through an incomplete, a complete in Christ certainly, but jacked up, not, not, not everything right in my own life even at this point. Not perfect. That amazes me that he would let me proclaim a message of transformation all the while he's still involved in the transforming process. Everybody around here is in that. I want to invite you to, to come and meet Jesus, to come back to God. You've been far from God. This morning he's reaching to you and his love says to you, I don't have a record. I've torn it up. It was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. If that's you right now today and you need to cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, save me. Be Lord of my life. The, the judgment, the decision, the discernment is in your lap right now. 